Yeah, it's nice. It's good. All right. Thank you for, for reading that. It's, um, I'm sure when most people are down to do the Bible reading and they get given a passage from Jeremiah, they uh, maybe look around for somebody else. But um, well done. Um, it's good to be back. And uh, we, we always enjoy coming and, and, and sharing with you guys. It's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's family, isn't it? That's it. You can uh, move away and go to different places, but it's always nice to have a family gathering. So um, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to walk in those doors. Um, who here enjoys reading the prophets? Like you, you, you've got a bit of time, you're, you're looking for a book to read and you gravitate towards the prophets. Um, I, think, I think you're few and far between. But uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's particularly, I, I don't know whether it's uh, the normal go-to, isn't it? To Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, all the, the, the minor prophets. And uh, we, we mostly gravitate towards the New Testament and uh, the letters and so forth. I, I, I love reading the law, <laughs> particularly Genesis. I love reading. I could read Genesis, go back and read it again. It's the, the, the whole gospel's in, in the book of Genesis. But uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah, I have read it. But it's not one that I gravitate towards. And, and well done to, to put your hand up and say, we're going to work through <laughs> Jeremiah. I applaud your efforts because uh, that's, that's a hard slog. I find, I find when I'm reading, say, Isaiah and Jeremiah, I feel like just saying, get to the point. Uh, <laughs> There's lots of, uh, lots of poetic kind of language going on. And, you, and you, really, you really need to know the culture of the time. You really need to know what's going on in history. You really need to know um, why, what this poetic kind of language means in the context of the people of Israel. Um, it's like when you're reading the book of Daniel and I'm, you know, you're diving into... I love the history books. So you're really enjoying the history. You're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you get halfway through Daniel and you're just like... Why? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. Uh, you really need to know the imagery and the, the pictures that are going on. Um, so, well done for choosing to, to work through. Did you guys have a say, or did uh, Andrew just sort of? He just throws it at you. <laughs> well, good on him. Uh, it's it's not it's not easy, but you know, we, we then remind ourselves of two Timothy. Uh, Chapter 3, where it says all scripture is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Like we have to remind ourselves that it's not just the, the New Testament that is God breathed, that it's, it's all of this, and every part of it is from the Lord and important for us to read and understand and to apply. Uh, in our, into our lives. And it's very easy as Christians to, to ignore these books, but it's so important that we, we see God working and God moving um, throughout history, working within the people of Israel. And, are there, and we can ask ourselves the question, well, what can we get out of this? Because we're talking about a book that was written 2,600 years ago uh, in a completely different culture and a completely different time in history. How can we take that and how can we... Apply it for us today where it actually means something. And let's be honest, that's not always easy, particularly with the prophets. They had a particular message for the people of Israel. And we've got to be careful when we're reading the, the, the prophets. 
because it is a specific message for the people of Israel. But we can still see what God was doing, and especially when then when you see Jesus throughout the prophets, Isaiah 53 being the famous suffering servant passage. For Jeremiah, Jesus everywhere. But there are some important lessons that we can pull out of this passage. And what I I want you to keep in mind is that, firstly, that we have a message that the world needs to hear. And secondly, that even though they may not listen, we must keep preaching this message. These days I, I work at Kendall Public School as a chaplain. And I love working there. I love hanging out with the kids. I've spent most of my, my, most of my chaplaincy work has been in high schools and I needed a break from high schools. And it's such a pleasure and a joy to be around kids that some of these kids, when, when I'm asked to spend some time with them and you know what's happening at home, yet they're still kids. They can still run around and have fun and, and laugh and it's just so much fun to be around Kindy kids, I, I often will go into the kindy room and just have fun. One of my joys is destroying stage three students, that's five, six in handball. It's, it's a pleasure to teach them a few lessons on the handball court, yeah. Or uh, playing touch footy with them. Um, I, the other day I made a playing touch footy, I made a break, I was, I was off. I'm, I'm home and hosed. But it was one of those moments where I realised that uh, I'm no longer faster than a 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah, they caught up to me. Anyway, these days I often say to them, 20 years ago, I'm in the corner, that's a try. But anyway. But I also enjoy hanging out with the staff. There's some beautiful staff there, and I've worked in plenty, plenty of schools, two of them Christian schools. But the, and, and I think there's maybe three of us, three Christians at Kendall um, but I really, I love the staff there. I love them. I enjoy their company. We, we laugh a lot, you know. And there's one particular staff member that I get on with really well. And the main reason why we get on well is that we don't talk about much other than sport. We talk a lot of sport. And uh, in, in the winter, we talk a lot of rugby league. And in the summer, we talk a lot about cricket. And we... we <laughs> we very rarely go outside of those boundaries. That's, that's what we talk about. But the other day was uh, the start of this term, the Monday before the students came back. So it was a staff day. And this staff member and I were sitting out outside in this beautiful sunny day outside on the picnic tables and having morning tea together. And we just start talking about football. And then the, the conversation started to steer towards just talking about the school. And then it turned into a conversation about talking about public schools versus <coughs> private schools. He's a big supporter of the public system. And I was able to say to him that I've worked in two private schools, but they were Christian schools. Well, I'm not talking about elite private schools. I'm talking about Christian schools where their focus is teaching children the ways of the Lord which then led into a conversation about religion. 
which then turned into me telling him the gospel. And after explaining the gospel to him and basically saying to him, there is something unique about Christianity and it's all about Jesus. It's about what Jesus did and that we cannot be saved by obeying laws to get right with God. We need to put our trust in Jesus and that he has done the work for us. And that saying to him what's unique about Christianity is that not that I believe that Jesus was God, He said that he was God. So I said to this staff member, you may need to make a decision about who Jesus is. His response was, I can't do that. And the conversation stopped. We have a message to take to the world, but that doesn't mean that they're always going to listen. Now, just to um, remind ourselves of who is this man, Jeremiah. He was a prophet. But something unique about Jeremiah is that he was also a priest. He was from the priestly line. That was quite unique for a prophet. And he was a prophet and a priest to the people of Judah. If you know your, your history, the people of Israel, they'd split into two kingdoms. And by this time, the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken over by the Assyrians. And they were really just a mixed race of people. But Judah was still there, even though they were not doing what God was asking them to do. Jeremiah never married. He never had kids. And that was actually, God told him to do that. (laughs) Because he said, God said to Jeremiah that judgment is coming. And if you have children, they will suffer. So don't. But also it was a message to the people of Israel. His life was constantly threatened. He was put in stocks. He was forced to flee from the king. He was publicly humiliated by the false prophets. And at one point he was thrown into a pit. All because he spoke the word of God. And his main message? Repent. Turn back to God. Avoid the coming judgment. And he preached this message for over 40 years with no repentance. Because of this, he's known as the weeping prophet. And we see some of that in chapter 8. But what is Jeremiah saying in this particular passage? Now, this is a speech that goes from chapter 7, 8, and 9. We're, just, we're right in the middle. I assume that you've looked at chapter 7? No. No? We skipped over that? Chapter 1, chapter 2, now chapter 8. Right, okay. Well, that's good because I've written down a few things to put us into context a little bit for chapter 8. So that's good. So chapter 7, let's, if you want to, you can flip back to chapter 7. I'm just going to pull out a few verses so we know what he's saying before we get to our passage here. And if we look at verse 3... We get a real good summary of this, the overall message in which Jeremiah is bringing to the people of Israel when he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Basically, he starts by saying, Repent. <laughs> Repent and turn back to God. Then in verse 9 and 10, 
we get some details of the kind of things the people of Judah have been up to. And their, their confidence. <coughs> he says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear uh, falsely, make offerings to Baal, that is a false god of the time, and go after other gods that they may, that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in my house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. Or some translations, we are rescued, we are saved. Okay, so they were really confident in themselves simply because they're the people of Israel. Yet Jeremiah throws at them the kind of things that they're doing, which is obviously contradicts the law of God. Yet God makes it very clear to Jeremiah in verse 27, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. Oh, that's, that's like, yay. Like, I want... So I'm going I'm to preach this for 40 years and he knows they're not going to listen. Devastating. That's one of those things that I, I sometimes, like when I read that, I think to myself, okay, I'm going into Kendall and you can put yourself in your own context where you're going. And there's opportunities to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel to people, to tell them about Jesus. But what if you knew they weren't going to repent? Would you still do it? Jeremiah did. He was just faithful. So let's have a look at chapter 8. And as we read through this, I want you to think to yourself, what relates to us? What relates to the world today? What relates to the church today? Because I think you'd be surprised how much does. So I, I, I'm going to sort of paraphrase it a little bit. I'm, not going to, I'm, I'm just going to quickly move through this. I'm starting at verse 4. First, uh, verses 4 and 5, what we have here is the, that God is saying, you know, people normally, they fall down, they get back up. They turn, they turn back. But the people of Judah refuse to do so. And in verse 6 and 7, basically saying it's because they don't care. In verse 6 it says, No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? They don't care about the fact that they are breaking God's law. He says, basically, he says, Birds know how to migrate. They know what they're doing. But Judah, they don't respond to God's instructions. Verse 8 and 9, They think they are wise but they're basing this wisdom upon false teachers and false prophets. They reject the word of God. Verses 10 to 13 says, as a result, they'll lose everything. Even these prophets and their priests, because they've been dishonest and mistreated, broken people. Verses 14 to 15, so what will happen? Even if they gather in their fortified cities, they will not be saved. These false prophets promise them peace and healing. Yet they'll receive the opposite. Verses 16 and 17, the enemy, the Babylonians, are ready to invade. I love that idea of the horses. The horses can be heard. 
on the border of Dan, ready to invade. And they'll be like a plague of poisonous snakes that they, the, the people of Judah cannot escape from. And then in verse 18 through to 22, we have Jeremiah then expressing his pain and his heartache as he shares this with the people of Israel. He says, my joy has gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. He is a broken man when he brings this message to the people of Judah and they refuse to listen. A simple message to repent and he faithfully preaches it knowing that they will not listen. But what does this mean to us? I'm sure, as I said, if you, you read through what Jeremiah is saying here, you can see that this is relevant for us today. That we have a message that the world needs to hear. That we have a world that refuses to repent. And then what we have is we have false teachers and false prophets throwing all kinds of things out there to make people feel better about themselves, but they're not actually going to the word of God. But even if they don't listen, we must just keep preaching this message. Now, I want to say that I'm not here today to, to guilt you into evangelism. And I've heard a few sermons along those lines. The church has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. And the Holy Spirit has been convicting and converting people from the beginning of time. And both will continue to happen until Christ returns. We all play our part in preaching the gospel and making disciples. And personally, I know I need to stop beating up the church and bashing the church for the things that we don't do. And maybe we need to start celebrating the things that we do do, the things that we have done, the things that we are doing now and the things that we are going to do in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. People are coming to Christ. Lives are being changed. And it's the faithful work of the church. I want you to think for a second where this world would be without the church. Where this nation would be without the church. Jeremiah had his calling, but what is ours? And as much as, you know, I flick through the Bible and you know, a lot of people spend a lot of their time trying to figure out what is God's calling in my life. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat next to teenagers in particular and they're like, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. Just show them Matthew 28. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's your purpose. That's our mission. Sometimes we need to simplify things. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The time of Christ's humiliation on the cross was over. And God the Father now elevates him above all. He had taken... God's wrath and God's judgment upon himself 
but then he defeated death and rose again. And because of that, he now has all authority. And it's because he has that authority that we can then go, just like Jeremiah did. And Philippians 2, 9 through 11 confirms this. Therefore God has exalted him high and bestowed him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, all heavenly beings, all earthly beings, humans, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, willingly or unwillingly. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Because Christ has this authority, we can then for, therefore go. And the understanding of the Greek word that is translated go has this idea of as you go. As you go about your life, make disciples. We are to go to all people from all nations. Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 18, Go to Jerusalem, to Samaria, not Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. Does this mean that we all go to the ends of the earth? No. But we support those who do. Our mission includes the unconverted and the converted. We collectively, together as a body, preach the gospel and baptize new believers. And we're also called collectively to teach each other the gospel, and the teachings of Jesus. Now some are gifted evangelists, and I'm I'm sure some of you know of some gifted evangelists. I'm reminded of Bob Knott that would just sit at a bus stop (coughs) and tell people the gospel. I'm sure some of you can think of gifted teachers that you know. And we support them in the work that they do. Missionaries, pastors. But is everybody called to evangelize and to teach? Yes. But there are different ways in which we do this. And we should not compare ourselves to others. I was once told that my greatest mission field is my family. That I need to preach the gospel to my children so that they can make a decision for Christ. And I praise the Lord that they have done so. Now my job is to teach them the teachings of Jesus. And maybe you are someone that is good at expressing and showing the love of Jesus Christ and meeting people where they're at and meeting their needs, teaching them who Jesus is by how you live your life. But I just want to encourage one important thing. Let them know that you are a Christian. Because Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists do nice things too. But we do them in the name of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, like just on Friday, I was chatting with a staff member at the end of the day and I asked them, What are you doing on the weekend? She 
told me that she had a friend visiting and we talked about that for a while. Then, out of politeness, she asked me what I was doing on the weekend. And, and don't be offended, but I forgot what I was doing on the weekend. Uh, I, was, I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't think I'm doing much. And then I realised that my Saturday was going to be spent preparing this and then I was going to be here on Sunday morning. So I said, oh, oh actually, I'm preaching on Sunday morning. And she goes, oh. Now, the conversation could have stopped there. And sometimes it does. But then she asked me where I go to church. And it turned into a five, ten minute conversation. It's those little things. Yeah? It's those little things that can sometimes lead to bigger conversations later. And as I say, with this other staff member that I was talking about at the start, we mostly just talk football. But as that conversation evolved, I'm then sitting there telling him about Jesus. Jeremiah tried all kinds of crazy things. He um, made a few yokes that he sent to all the nations who were going to be oppressed by the Babylonians. And as a sign to say, you, you, know, you need to repent, uh, otherwise you're going to be under the bondage of the Babylonians. But do the nations listen? No. <laughs> but uh, we're not all Jeremiah. And Jesus finishes when, uh, in Matthew 28, he says, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm glad he said that. I'm glad he finished with that. Because it's important for us to remember that we do not do this alone. We have each other. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have our Lord and Saviour with us also. And Jeremiah was not alone in what he did. He did have a team of people that was with him, supporting him and helping him doing what he was doing. But what is our message to the unconverted? And again, I could pull out all kinds of verses and, and try to unpack the gospel to you. But there's a reason why we mostly gravitate towards 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you have been saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance, first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That Christ died and rose again according to the scriptures. What are the scriptures that he's referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament. And then there are witnesses to this truth. This is the message that we take to the world. We must make sure that we keep the gospel of first importance. When people come to faith and are baptized, we can then dive into the scriptures and try and unpack end times and the millennium and predestination. But the world need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more I hang out with the staff at Kendall Public School, the more I 
appreciate them, the more I enjoy them, the more I love them. But there's also a tinge of sadness. But I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. From verse 10 he says, I worked harder than any of them, any of the apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. (coughs) Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And you believed. I pray most mornings for more conversations to have with the staff at Kendall Public School so I can preach the gospel to them so that they can repent and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm sure all of you can think your own life, your own circumstances, the environments that you're in. People that you can pray for. people that you can talk to. Jeremiah had a message for the people of Judah. Repent, turn back to God, or be destroyed. We have a message for the world. Repent and turn back to God, or face God's judgment alone. The people of Judah didn't listen, and the people of the world may not listen. However, we keep praying, we keep preaching, and we keep trusting that the Holy Spirit will convict and convert, making new disciples for us to then teach. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your your mercy and your grace is new every morning. Lord, we know our position before a holy and righteous God, that we have sinned and fallen short. But we praise you and thank you that there is salvation in Christ. Help us to trust you more and more each day. And I ask, Lord God, in Jesus' name, that you will give us boldness, collectively and individually, Lord, to proclaim the gospel. Lord, bring to mind those that need to hear your truth. Give us the words to say. But Lord, I ask that you speak to everybody here and let them know that they can evangelize the way that you want them to. Lord, in a way that is comfortable for them but Lord God we we also don't want to hide away Lord this is our time to be together to encourage each other to, to support each other to uplift each other but Lord God I just pray that we continue to help each other throughout the course of the week as we go out into the world and I pray that everybody here This week, we'll have an opportunity to talk about Jesus with someone.
We thank you for Jeremiah and his faithfulness and we ask, Lord, that uh, we will be just as faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Luke. We have many opportunities to share the gospel. It's the truth.